flood disaster in the interior. You've got high hopes that everything will just go back to normal in a click. And it's not going to. Communities struggling to cope with high water with the threat of more on the way. Shocking video of a violent carjacking. The search for witnesses and what we're learning about the suspect now facing charges. And the Vancouver MLA singled out for his expenses. He has charged taxpayers for frequent day trips on Helijet, Harbour Air from his primary residence in Greater Victoria. Why Spencer Chandler Herbert says he's done nothing wrong. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The streets in parts of Cache Creek are like rivers after the waterway spilled its banks wreaking havoc. So far, one home has been destroyed, many others are damaged, and dozens of other properties and businesses are behind sandbags tonight as the community remains under a state of emergency. Aaron MacArthur is in Cache Creek and joins us now. Aaron, how are people in that community coping now? Chris, I, I got to say, there right now there is a sense of relief that the chaos of the last few days seems to be behind them. But there is also a sense of concern that any change in the weather could be a trigger that will push Cash Creek above its banks again. The junction of Highway 1 and 97 through Cash Creek, a makeshift creek bed Thursday. The rushing water pushing rocks and debris tumbling down the road surface. The force of the water, enough to undercut the highway at two river crossings and cover a bridge in a meter of mud. The sound of the raging creek, terrifying for residents. There's nothing you can do and you've got high hopes that everything will just go back to normal in a click. And it's not going to. Cash Creek was blocked by debris in a culvert underneath Highway 97. The water poured down the residential streets. People along Collins Avenue sandbagging throughout the night. How much sleep did you get last night? None. Absolutely. <laughs> I've been up since 2 a.m. the night before. Water was in people's basements. Bridges washed out. People who live along the creek's edge keeping one eye on the water level and one eye on the forecast. This house is in a good position for something like this. But if the culvert comes out, Could be anything. Wednesday, the flood closed the fire hall, inundated businesses, and forced people from their homes. Thursday, the situation began to improve when the culvert debris was cleared. Water levels began to drop. Residents want to know why it took so long to clear the culvert. We've had this issue over the years, and they know where the water comes from, and there's pools that have been set up in the past to catch this, all this water basin that when it comes down from the mountains, but we're not, using, we're not utilizing the sources that we have. The water may have receded. No one is taking chances. Rain may push the water level up and more debris down. People in Cache Creek working hard to build their sandbag walls higher. All right, Aaron, in a lot of those shots, you see Highway 1 in bad shape. What's the latest on it reopening? 
Well, the bridge behind me here seems to have been assessed. There's heavy equipment on it right now. The goal is to get it clean of debris and then the, the footings and the approaches uh, riprap placed around there to try to get the transportation corridors open. But the damage further north, right at the junction of 97 and Highway 1, is worse in many ways. It will be some time before the highways are reopened fully in both directions. All right, drivers got to keep that in mind. Thanks very much, Aaron. Well, flooding in a neighborhood Vernon has forced more people from their homes and residents scrambling to protect others. Whiteman's Creek first burst its banks Monday night, forcing nearly 100 people out of their homes, seriously damaging some properties and even wiping out a road. With the creek close to bursting its banks again, an evacuation order has now been expanded and residents and volunteers are working frantically to try to prevent any more devastation. In Grand Forks, a local state of emergency remains in effect and more people have been evacuated because of a high risk of flooding there. The regional district of Kootenai Boundary issued another two evacuation orders today in the Manly Meadows Road area, impacting about 23 people. This is in addition to the one yesterday that saw 23 others vacate their homes. Another 72 are being told to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. The regional district says current modeling shows river levels will rise to very concerning levels overnight. Well, several homes near Karameas have been cut off by a mudslide. The slide started yesterday in the community of Costin. The lower Similkameen Indian Band says the flow continued for some time. No homes have been damaged, but the slide has cut off the only road to a number of houses, trapping more than a dozen people. The slide is estimated to be nearly four meters deep and 30 meters wide. And plans are being made to use a helicopter to evacuate some high-risk elders. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on the rain that's expected and the areas of concern. Christy? Sophie, so these are the areas that are expecting rainfall from the Kootenai region right across the southern interior up towards Cache Creek. The rainfall is expected through the day on Friday and into Saturday with the impact likely continuing into Sunday. Now, it's not only the impact on the flood scenario, but it's also going to bring the potential for further mudslides across the region. Now, the biggest concern with this is that the precipitation will be highly variable and it's uncertain as to where those pockets of heavy precipitation will fall. We've got embedded thunderstorms expected within that that will increase those very isolated pockets of heavy precipitation so not only are we dealing with uh, the runoff from the snowmelt from all that extreme heat we saw for the last week but now the rainfall so according to the BC River Forecast Center these are the areas of biggest concern as we head into the weekend it's Cache Creek Okanagan Boundary Kootenai and the Similkameen region back to you all right thanks Christy BC's Emergency Management Ministry is emphasizing the flood concerns in the days ahead. Keith Baldry joins us with more on the briefing they held today. And Keith, mm -hmm. what kind of help is available for some of these areas? Yeah, it was more than we've seen in the past. That's the good news. But as of noon today, there were seven evacuation orders and six evacuation alerts. That number is expected to grow perhaps significantly as we go through the weekend. A combination of a rapid snow melt because of high temperatures and the expected potential, as Christy just pointed out, the deluge of rainfall that could occur in some of these communities means a number of communities are at risk. Bowen Ma, the emergency management minister today at the briefing, outlining some of the measures that have been taken already. The flooding early on in the season was not entirely unexpected for us. We did uh, 
pre-deploy hundreds of thousands of sandbags uh, last month, and we pre-deployed temporary retaining walls and emergency flood barriers, sandbag machines to communities likely to see flooding, communities like Cash Creek and uh, Grand Forks. So again, the region's effect, and as Christy just pointed out, uh, central interior, the Okanagan, southern interior, the boundary region, and south Kootenays. If you live in any of these areas uh, and you live near a stream or threatened by overrunning banks of the stream or river, you're advised to be vigilant and alert and basically have an emergency plan in place and pack a go bag. Some evacuation orders can occur very quickly. So a lot of people watching tonight are in these areas. Be prepared. Be, be prepared to depart your home very quickly. A lot of sandbagging going on right now. Thanks very much, Keith. RCMP are trying to track down witnesses to a violent carjacking in Colwood last month. They've released video of the incident, and we do want to warn you, it is disturbing. A 19-year-old man has been arrested, and as Kylie Stanton reports, not only is he facing several charges, but the incident has thrown a major wrench into his athletic ambitions. Shortly after midnight, a taxi is making his way down this stretch of road when out of nowhere, this happens. The fella has dove onto his hood of his car, smashing the windshield, and the driver was shocked. He started to open the door to check on the man, but before he had a chance. The fella had uh, jumped up and uh, ran to the door and... Uh, him out of the car. It happened on April 15th here in the 2300 block of Souk Road. According to the company, the Bluebird taxi driver dislocated his shoulder, fractured his arm, and was knocked unconscious as he was pulled from the car. The attacker then got in the vehicle and drove away. The next thing he remembers was um, he was in the ambulance. 19-year-old Sione Fine was arrested and has since been charged with assault, assault causing bodily harm, assaulting a police officer, mischief to property under $5,000, and theft of a motor vehicle. It's believed he was under the influence of narcotics at the time of the incident. Fine was a member of Rugby Canada's Pacific Pride Academy program. The organization says while it was made aware of an incident involving several players at a private residence, it only learned of the criminal charges today. In a statement saying Sione Fine has been released from the Pacific Pride Academy and any Rugby Canada activities. We now consider this a matter for the justice system. West Shore RCMP are not able to comment any further, but the videos provided are making the rounds. Horrifying. Mohan Kang, president of the BC Taxi Association, says incidents like this one are very rare. And thanks to cameras, violence against drivers has seen a sharp decline. The rate of uh, physical violence with the driver has decreased drastically with the camera. It is simple. Somebody's watching you. But in this case, the camera could not protect the driver and will now simply serve as evidence. He's already said that, you know, he's not going to drive nights anymore. Fine's next court appearance is scheduled for May 25th. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Vancouver police are releasing a new photo of a missing man, hoping someone will recognize him and help find him. This is Irshad Iqbal. He's 36 years old. He's been missing since Saturday. Iqbal was last seen around 2 a.m. near the Plaza of Nations on Pacific Boulevard before he got separated from his friends and disappeared. Police have already examined video from the area, reviewed his bank records and social media, and searched False Creek waters, but so far no luck. If you have any information that might help, call VPD or Crime Stoppers.
The trial of a man accused of killing a Burnaby teenager has heard from a friend of the girl who last saw her the day before her body was found. Rumi Nadea reports. The young adult witness demure and soft-spoken as she testified in Mandarin through an interpreter. A rare scene in courtroom 55, the judge granting the witness permission to testify behind a tall white screen, roughly 12 feet high. Justice Bernard telling the jury not to draw any adverse inference on the witness or the accused because of the screen. The witness told the jury she last saw her friend at summer school on July 18, 2017. She shot two short videos of her friend in the school playground, which were played in court. The witness said her friend was normal that morning. The next day, the young teen's body was found by police in the forest in Burnaby Central Park. Crown's theory, the accused, Ibrahim Ali, strangled the girl to death in the course of sexually assaulting her. Crown says they were strangers to each other. The witness is not being identified because of a publication ban on the victim's identity. She told the jury she never saw her friend drink alcohol or use drugs, adding she didn't have a boyfriend, not interested. They talked about cartoons, anime and math. Ali has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. On the opening day of trial, he told the jury with conviction he did not kill the team. Defense has yet to cross-examine the witness. She's back on the stand Friday. Romina Dea, Global News. Expenses under scrutiny. The Vancouver MLA singled out for spending a lot more than many on travel to his own riding. And why the BC NDP is promising to look into it. Next on the News Hour. A change of direction for the Pride Parade. Where to park yourself so you won't miss a thing. Later, plus. Our passion and the work that we put in really shows with every instrument we make. Guitars for the stars. The BC company building a worldwide reputation, one custom instrument at a time. That's coming up on the News Hour. First, though, the BC United opposition is raising concerns about the expenses being claimed by one NDP MLA. Spencer Chandra Herbert represents Vancouver West End, but uh, three years ago he moved to Greater Victoria. And the opposition says he's been racking up big bills to fly back and forth ever since. Richard Zussman has the details. MLA Spencer Chandra Herbert's a staple of Vancouver's West End, from pride parades to seniors' homes. But now, BC United is raising questions about whether the longtime MLA even lives in the riding anymore. In 2020, the Premier's liaison for renters, the MLA for Vancouver West End, relocated his primary residence from Vancouver to the Greater Victoria region. The opposition presenting multiple expense forms in the legislature Thursday, showing Chandra Herbert lists a home in the Victoria area as his primary residence. But the MLA claims his home is still Vancouver living with his in-laws rent-free, while his husband and son live in Victoria, where his son has been ill. And I didn't want to share it because my son's been very sick. He got sick here in Victoria. He's been in and out of Victoria General. It's been the worst year and a half of my life. Chandra Herbert's son is enrolled in school in the Victoria area and is now doing better. His constituents surprised he spends so much time in the capital region but not concerned if the job gets done. Seems kind of far away. Yeah, doesn't make sense. I don't really care. Um, what I, I had phoned him and he responded to me and he was very helpful. 
The opposition says the most egregious expenses are flights from Victoria in the morning and back in the afternoon on days the legislature is not sitting. On July 2, 2020, Chandra Herbert did the round trip, billed $457.91. September 10th, $546.18. Then again, April 8th and 10th, all with no house sitting for $655. Most residents in the West End probably have no idea that he hasn't lived there for three years and he's racked up a $70,000 bill at taxpayers' expense. There are a number of MLAs who live outside of the riding, including BC United leader Kevin Falcon, but none of them, other than Chandra Herbert, have claimed a residence outside of their region. I don't live in my riding. I can't afford to, frankly, uh, which is a little bit different. Um, but I can drive there and be there in 15 minutes. Chandra Herbert was asked multiple times if he consulted the legislature before filing these expenses, and he'd not directly answer the question. Richard Lisbon, Global News, Victoria. The push is on to go green with both the provincial and federal governments offering grants and rebates to make homes more energy efficient. But some say the programs are buyer beware and leave out property owners who may need those rebates the most. Let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Ann Drua with more. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. When Suzanne McPherson learned about the Federal Canada Greener Homes grant, she says she jumped into action and applied right away. She was in the market for a heat pump, but her excitement quickly turned to concern when she started going through the grant process. Suzanne McPherson says after experiencing several unbearable summers in her townhouse, investing in a heat pump for its cooling system seemed like a solid solution for her and her strata complex. Every summer here, we just bake the top floor just absolutely bakes. The Nelson resident says she went to the Natural Resources Canada website, the federal department in charge of the Canada Greener Homes Grant, which boasts it will give homeowners up to $5,000 to help them make energy efficiency upgrades to their home. Suzanne answered all the questions to determine if she was a potential candidate for the grant. And it came out, yay, exclamation mark, you're a good candidate for this program. Her next step in the grant application process was to get what's called an EnerGuide home evaluation to assess her home's energy performance, a step that cost Suzanne just a little over $500. Out of that assessment, Suzanne says, it was concluded she needed only one heat pump for her 1,800-square-foot townhouse and therefore did not qualify. So in the end, I got nothing. Through her local MP, Suzanne reached out to the Federal Minister of Natural Resources about not only losing her $500 in the evaluation process, but also how, in her opinion, the Canada Greener Homes Grant discriminates against people living in smaller dwellings when it comes to heat pumps. Jonathan Wilkinson writing back, the program's eligibility criteria require that heat pump systems have a minimum capacity requirement of 12,000 bridge thermal units per hour. Unfortunately, your constituent's partial heat pump system does not meet the eligibility criteria and is therefore ineligible for federal funding. They really need to widen the net in reality and just change the criteria to meet the needs of smaller homes. The Pembina Institute, a clean energy think tank, says government needs to do a better job at helping consumers navigate through green energy incentive programs. Governments really do need to provide owners the clarity, essentially hold their hands throughout the, the retrofit process, which includes you know navigating things like the incentive programs. That help is needed by all types of owners, determining what incentives are right for their homes and also what upgrades are right.
Despite not qualifying for the Greener Grant program, Suzanne eventually did purchase a heat pump at her expense with a final cost of over $7,000. She says she just wishes going green wasn't so complicated or costly. And Consumer Matters reached out to the Natural Resources Canada asking if the federal ministry had plans to change the requirements for smaller dwellings like condos and townhomes. We also shared Suzanne's concerns about paying hundreds of dollars for an Energuide home evaluation only to be told she doesn't qualify and has no way of recouping those funds. Although the ministry acknowledged it received our email, we never heard from them again. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Just ahead, testing the limits of Canadian drug laws. Well, we wouldn't provide testing supplies so that people can do these drugs safer. The vendor is selling what he says is a safer supply. What nearby businesses and police say about it. Also, big changes coming down the tracks. What the SkyTrain extension could mean to this Surrey neighbourhood. Vancouver man has been arrested after he followed through on his plan to open a store selling illegal drugs. As Zimadagahi reports, the arrest was no surprise and something the store owner wanted. On a sunny Wednesday evening, Jerry Martin sets up his mobile storefront at the corner of Main and Cordova Streets in Vancouver. This is straight from the source? Straight from the source. I see, uncut. We've opened the world's first drugstore to try and help curb the overdoses and, and other, you know, other dangers that are, that are happening from drug dealing and drug buying. So, What are you selling here today? Uh, cocaine, heroin, meth, and MDMA. He knows what he is doing is illegal, but he says it's necessary. Number one, just someone buying your drugs, it's a lot safer. You know, people have to go through a lot of things to get their drugs. They could be robbed in an alley. Many women get, you know, abused and do different things just to get their drugs, whether they got money or not. Um, so it's going to stop a lot of that. Plus, it's going to stop a lot of the overdoses. People are going to know what they're getting. And it's very important for people that if they buy something, they need to know they're getting that product. I want to get four MDMA. Four MDMA? Yes, please. And these are clean, right? Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate what you're doing. Good luck on this. Martin has lost a brother to overdose and says this is a harm reduction measure to combat the toxic drug supply. There's the opportunity for clean drugs to replace dirty drugs that are killing people, then why not? I think that it can only be a good thing. I mean, I think that there's going to be the contrarians that think that it's just allowing people to do drugs, but the people that don't want to do drugs aren't going to do drugs. Others saw Martin's project differently. There's no such thing as safe drugs, period. None. Just no. Okay, so if, I, if he could do this, I'm going to do it too then, because I'd like to have a condo. Okay? How much money is this already making? We suffered enough. Don't put that right here in front of our stores. A short time after opening his store, Vancouver police said Martin was arrested, and the VPD seized his truck, trailer, body armor, and an unidentified amount of cash. The arrest, part of Martin's plan, in order to launch a legal challenge arguing drug users have the right to a clean supply during an overdose crisis. Emadagahi, Global News. Preparations are underway to encourage thousands of people to move to Surrey's Fleetwood area in the coming decade. The city expects a building boom thanks to the arrival of the largest ever SkyTrain expansion south of the Fraser. And as Janet Brown reports, Surrey residents are bracing for some major changes. We're expecting anywhere between 20 and 30 towers uh, in the Fleetwood area around those different SkyTrain stations, um, particularly at 152 and at 160th. So there's going to be lots of change. 
Preliminary work is underway for the 16-kilometer extension of the Expo line running from the King George SkyTrain station to Langley Center. Once it's complete in five years, the Fraser Highway corridor will look much different. This whole area will be completely redeveloped. The building behind us here, a former community center, will be uh, probably eight to ten stories. This whole area over here is a, is a large pie shape. It's about ten properties right now. A lot of the properties have been sold and, and it'll become like a land assembly and most of this will be high-rises. Over the next 25 years, the Fleetwood population is expected to double in size to roughly 120,000 and with that comes added pressure on infrastructure and schools. Well, schools are going to be a big issue being that they're up pretty much at capacity right now. And there's no public land in Fleetwood for government to come in and, and build. So we're going to have to think differently about how schools are going to be built in Fleetwood. There will be three SkyTrain stations in Fleetwood at 152nd, 160th and 166th, with 85% of the corridor expected to be redeveloped. Small business owners say rapid transit will be good for their employees. It makes the commute easier and faster because the bus services are a little slow and we don't have much bus services here. Fleetwood residents have concerns about the looming change. I think the big one might be crime. Um, you know, living close to markets and um, strip malls and stuff like that, you might get a little bit more activity. Major construction is expected to begin next year with a completion date slated for 2028. Janet Brown, Global News. Just ahead, protecting your most intimate images. This new process um, is meant to be extremely um, expeditious. New legislation giving victims a way to fight back when their pictures end up online. But first, how climate change is impacting one of the West Coast's most important species. Vancouver police are trying to sort out how a vehicle ended up upside down in the front yard of a home on West 49th Avenue. Yeah, take a look at this. The driver was sent to hospital when a vehicle jumped the curb and flipped, landing between two homes. Police evidence markers show where the driver started to lose control, drove up onto the sidewalk and passed four homes before finally coming to a rest upside down against a tree. Now, a troubling report out of Simon Fraser University about the future of B.C.'s wild salmon. Researchers say salmon are facing food and migration challenges because of climate change, putting their very survival at risk. Paul Johnson has more. In Coquitlam last fall, the effect of climate and weather on our wild salmon was unmistakable. Creeks that would normally be teeming with spawning fish were bone dry because of drought that lasted well into autumn. Now, new research suggests another part of the life cycle could be reacting to changing weather as well. We're really wondering how is climate change impacting this invisible migration? The invisible migration. SFU researcher Samantha Wilson is talking about the hundreds of millions of baby salmon that are swimming downstream right now. For them, hitting the ocean just when food is abundant is critical. Wilson looked at data from 66 salmon populations collected over 20 years from Oregon to Alaska and came to this conclusion. Climate change is changing the timing of when those salmon are leaving rivers and it could impact their survival. The work was published in the journal Nature, Ecology and Evolution and raises complex questions about the fate of our wild salmon. 
While some populations were clearly changing the timing of their outbound migration, others were not. That's a good thing. But to the extent that other juvenile salmon might hit the ocean early and find food is not available, is added stress they don't need. These juvenile salmon, they migrate out into the ocean right now, and in the next few months, how many of those salmon survive is going to be how many adults come back to us. That one of the planet's most magnificent migrations is being affected by climate change is not surprising. And understanding how it works may be critical to preserving our wild salmon. Paul Johnson, Global News. The provincial government is putting social media and adult content sites on notice, warning them to comply with BC's Intimate Images Act. The legislation is aimed at protecting people from sextortion. But as Julie Nolan reports, the province will have a challenge enforcing it on the web. I expect these technology companies to join me in condemning these terrible acts, and I expect them to share our goal of protecting people over profits. New legal mechanisms from the B.C. government to stop the distribution of intimate images online when consent isn't there. The letter is very clear, and they're all on notice that circulating or distributing intimate images is sexualized violence and will not be tolerated. B.C. Attorney General Nikki Sharma is demanding companies such as Meta, Twitter and Tinder and adult content sites like OnlyFans and Pornhub to comply with the Intimate Images Act launched in March. A letter to industry players warns they could face orders if they don't delete, destroy or de-index a photo when consent does not exist for a nude or even partially nude photo. I've met with Google so far to date, but I expect um, um, hopefully to be hearing from the other companies on how they'll be complying with these court orders. The province says they have the power to enforce orders that go beyond the B.C. border. That means companies would be forced to remove those photos expeditiously. It's really important that this happens as quickly as possible. So I think these statutes are popping up um, in various provinces across Canada. It's fantastic that B.C. has implemented this uh, new law. B.C. is the seventh province to launch a crackdown. But one online safety educator says the province may face legal challenges with companies in non-NATO-friendly countries such as China and Russia. This legislation gives a lot more, especially to those in B.C., a lot more tools in order to control their images, uh, reduce the spread of the images if they do get out there. Victims will also be able to seek resolution through the B.C. Civil Resolution Tribunal. It has the ability to order someone to stop the spread of potentially harmful images, and it will be accessible 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Julie Nolan, Global News. Still to come, strumming success. There's not a lot of companies in Canada really doing what we're doing here at Prestige. What sets this B.C. guitar company apart from all the others? Coming up. And a slight change to the Pride Parade. Why organizers are going in a different direction. Well, the Vancouver Pride Parade and Festival is one of the biggest events of the summer. And this year, it's taking on a new life. That's right. There's a new site, new parade route, and an extra day with the potential for an even bigger economic impact. Jennifer Palma has more on what's behind the changes. 
It's one of the most popular events of the year, the Vancouver Pride Parade. And when it returns this August long weekend, it's going to look different. After listening to our communities, we are very pleased to announce that the Vancouver Pride Parade will be changing its route and festival and moving to Concord Pacific Place this year. The Pride Parade's new route will grow from 2.7 to 3.1 kilometers and will begin at Denman and Davie, ending up at Concord Community Park. And instead of a one-day festival, it'll be two. The change is made to ensure everyone can enjoy the weekend festivities. The new festival location is a much-needed change. We are excited that there is flat access without hills, uh, concrete, less grass and no sand in paths of travel. Being excluded is, has been a reality for our community and so it is our responsibility to be as inclusive of our incredibly diverse community as possible. The change is concerning at least one group. In an email, the West End Business Improvement Association says they're disappointed to see the Pride Parade and Festival site relocate from the West End, that the loss will be felt by businesses. They add activations are planned in the neighborhood by Vancouver Pride Society and that the West End BIA also intends to celebrate. We have consulted with numerous uh, stakeholders and community associations about these changes. We'll continue to work with these groups as our community consultations are an ongoing process. The Pride Festival's economic impact is huge and the new route may bring increased benefits. We know we did some research back in 2019. We wanted to find out the economic impact and it showed up at $32 million direct spend, over 200 jobs and brought over 50,000 room nights into the city. The route change comes in preparation for Canada Pride 2024, an event that could double Pride weekend attendance. (laughs) Jennifer Palma, Global News. Always better with some sunshine too, isn't it? I know it's a long way off to talk about that, but... (laughs) Let's deal with the flooding situation first, Christy. Yeah, really focusing in on the next three days mainly. So the rainfall is expected Friday and Saturday with the impact of this rain likely uh, felt through Sunday. There's always a lag in the effect. So we're talking about significant snowmelt right now because of the heat. Today was one of the hottest days or sorry, the hottest day of the year across BC. Once again, we hit temperatures in the 30s. Temperatures are going to come down as this rainfall shifts in. And again, it's going to be very spotty. These areas, though, you can see line up with that precipitation that I showed you. So we've got flood watches and warnings that uh, and warnings are in red. That includes the Boundary Region and the Cache Creek area. But all residents in these areas need to be prepared. We're going to see highly variable precipitation, and therefore the rivers and creeks in the region can be uh, can uh, sort of fluctuate quite rapidly. This gives you an idea of how spotty that precipitation will be, with pockets of intense precipitation because of embedded thunderstorms. And so that's one of the reasons why it'll be highly variable. Environment Canada putting out this. It's a special weather statement stating heavy rain possibly contributing to the escalated flood scenario but also potential mudslides so we'll be watching it very closely friday and saturday there's a look at your forecast for your friday spottier conditions further north you go but these areas will see rain moderate anywhere from 10 to 30 millimeters with some pockets receiving up to 40 millimeters of rain widespread rain across the south coast with highs of only 11 degrees for us tomorrow that's a massive drop in temperature and we're going to remain 
remain cool as we head into the weekend. Next week, though, we are expecting to warm up a touch, as you can see, and that could bring in another concern. Tonight's center window's weather window coming to you from Kelowna. This was captured last night. It's a massive cloud creating rainfall, and that rain evaporates before it hits the ground, thus producing what we call Virga. So, Lisa, thanks for capturing that. Back to you. That is quite a photo. Wild. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Christy. All right, Squire's here now, and a look ahead to sports. Speaking of wild, mm -hmm. so last night, uh, the Abbotsford Canucks stayed alive in their best-of-five series against Calgary. They did it at home, and the home crowd was one of the reasons Abbotsford said they won. We love playing in front of them, so it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's two of the best teams in the league right here, so. That was a big win for Abbotsford last night, so game four is coming up tomorrow, also in Abbotsford. The crowd makes a difference. All right, thanks, Squire. Also tonight, that surpassed my expectations. Musical prestige, a BC guitar maker finding success by singing to a different tune. Excitement in Abbotsford Squire. Yes, indeed. The Abbotsford Canucks are still alive in their second round series against uh, Calgary, the Wranglers. Now, we said yesterday Abbotsford needed a three-game win streak to... Well, that was... Anyway, I'm glad they're excited. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa, what just happened there? Uh, yes, uh, like that's Tristan Nielsen, maybe. Anyway, three-game win streak is what they needed. They got one of the three... Game four is tomorrow night in Abbotsford Center, which, as we said before the break, was loud and proud last night. You kind of felt, though, that Abbotsford wasn't going to lose this series in three games. They could have easily won game one or game two in Calgary last week. These teams are very closely matched. Gobbled up by Nielsen. He'll drop it for Rowell. Walks him with a shot. Scores! The Abbotsford Canucks will live to play another day in their series versus Calgary. This time it was the Canucks who got the one goal victory after losing twice in overtime on the road. The difference this time, a big emotional push from their fans who helped get the Canucks across the finish line. So awesome to, to play here. Uh, so it's loud and you get so much more energy when you play here. It was a pretty cool atmosphere to play in. Um, they ramp it up and uh, we love playing in front of them. This is why you... Uh, this is why you play. It's so important for our players to experience, to to know what it's like to be on on that in that kind of environment. And I thought the atmosphere tonight was just what you it would expect, and it does help. It helps us a lot. You find out a lot about these young players with so much on the line in playoffs, and one who has caught the coach's eye and gained his trust is rookie Arshdeep Baines. The 22-year-old from Surrey has scored a pair of shorthanded goals in the series and is doing the little things that make a big difference in the playoffs. Some guys, the moment's too big for them, and they throw it away or whatever, and, and he didn't. He just protected it, held it, made a play, and that's, you know, wins at 30 seconds. So, uh... When, when guys are learning to, you know, perform in those um, situations, it's uh, huge. It's still do or die. Game four is Friday with another clutch win necessary to extend their season. Uh, it's up to us to come flying Friday and because uh, then the game five would be here. So that's, that's up to us to make the most of that. Uh-oh in Toronto. Leafs are up 2-0 tonight. Game two against Florida, and the Panthers beat them. 
And the guy who scored the winning goal, Gustav Forsling, right here in the second period, he was drafted by the Canucks way back in 2014. Then they traded him for some inexplicable reason for Adam Clendenning. He's had a pretty good career, and the Leafs are down 2-0 in the series. Alberni Valley, a shout-out to them and congratulations. They are moving on to the uh, Fred Page Cup final in the BCHL. They scored a late goal last night against uh, Chilliwack. That's Ethan Bono scoring the goal. So they will face either Salmon Armour Penticton. Penticton leads that series three games to one. Well, we mentioned yesterday how the Vancouver Whitecaps have uh, striker Sergio Cordova back from a hamstring injury. He'll be ready for Saturday's home game against Minnesota. He won't likely start the game, but he will be able to sub in at some point. Now, the Whitecaps have been playing very good defense. Their goalkeeping's been excellent. What has kept them from getting wins, though, is they can't seem to score. They can get chances. They can create opportunities. But that last little bit, putting the ball in the net, that part hasn't been working out so well. But Vanny says, don't worry. That's bound to change, hopefully soon. Uh, I think that in the long period, uh, this thing will even out because the history of the of soccer tells us that in the long period is uh, uh, it's really uh, if a team creates more it's going to get more points so we need to be confident and trust the process we're even working on the finishing and how to make the right decision in the final third but what we're doing so far is uh, I'm confident that uh, uh, what you're going to see on paper is going to be also the final product in terms of points. The Whitecaps haven't been all that bad this year. If they could score, they'd be much higher up in the standings. Let's hope Vanny's right. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Up next, the BC Company in a prestigious position with some of music's biggest stars. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, of course, we're keeping a close eye on the flooding in BC's interior and the preparations for rain. Plus, the option Vancouver Park Board staff are recommending to control the Canada goose population. The birds do their business every 12 minutes and have no natural predators. Their numbers are exploding. At 11, we'll tell you how much the Park Board is looking to spend on this issue. Chris. All right, Jordan, thanks very much. I also had a childhood issue with them. <laughs> were you scared? It ate my hair. Oh, that's... So, I'm scarred for life. Good. Scarred for life, right? All right. Uh, Prestige Guitars is celebrating 20 years of making musical instruments sought after by thousands of musicians, from Shania Twain to Slash. Yeah, and the custom-made beauties are coveted by musicians around the globe. Jay Durant has more on how the magic is made on This Is B.C. The smell of sawdust hangs in the air as Prestige Guitars has been ramping up production. We're shooting towards 20 a month. For the past 20 years, this North Vancouver company has been building its reputation and celebrity clientele list. Shania Twain, Slash, um, Devin Townsend. We've made guitars for Randy Bachman. Vancouver has long been a hot spot for this work. Larivay Guitars closed its large factory here 10 years ago, and a lot of talented luthiers made their next move. We had a great opportunity to learn under a master guitar builder, John Larivay, and a lot of people sprung out of that, and a lot of people stayed in Vancouver. The quality of the material that comes from this part of the world is second to none. The Pacific Northwest is really, really famous for 
wood. In, in the industry, we call them tone woods. Engelmann spruce from uh, more inland, or our curly maple, which is what we use. Uh, and you can kind of see the three-dimensional look of it. It's like a kid in the candy shop, really. To celebrate their anniversary, the company has launched a new experience that takes customers through the complete process from start to finish, from the kiln room to the curing booth. This is where we uh, cure guitar finishes. It takes us five minutes to do that in this machine. We're trying to make it an, as much of an heirloom instrument that you can pass along as a work of art that you could enjoy uh, as a musician's tool. And marrying those two things together is what we're here to do. Prestige has sold over 10,000 guitars to musicians, casual players, and collectors, many with unique designs, which sometimes makes it hard to part with after spending so many hours trying to craft the perfect instrument. Oh my God, that looks incredible. You know, we gotta make another one of those guitars. I've trained myself over the years to not become too attached and keep the customer in mind. Jay Durant, Global News. What a gorgeous sound. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right. Can I, can I go back? How do we know that geese go to the bathroom every 12 minutes? Somebody had a stopwatch <laughs> at some point. That Someone <laughs> got paid to watch that well, happen. Yep. Now, that is definitely a dirty job, but someone has to do it. It is. Keeping an eye on Sophie, weather very closely. I, too, had a geese. Yeah, go I ahead. had a run-in with a goose when I was young, when I, and oh. I, he chased me down, and I've never been able to come close to them since. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, no. We're all traumatized. The national symbol. Really, public enemy number one, let's be honest. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.